Thanks be to God for that word, for Tito's reading, um, for David for sharing. Thank you for that testimony. And thanks be to God for each one of you sharing this time together. Um, I've been thinking about this with David's testimony uh, and also this week with what happened um, at the mosque that one of the ways in which we move forward from death is that we don't forget <clears throat> nothing can make it okay, nothing can make it acceptable, but one of the ways in which um, we can incorporate the death of those we've loved into our lives is that we can be changed by them forever and tell the stories of who they were. And in that way, those people who have gone on change the world. That remembering their memory is a way of remembering them into our community, of saying that the cloud of witnesses is still with us. Whether it's your grandma who you miss or someone who you never met but who made a big impact on you, um, the ways in which those who have gone on have changed us are gifts and are ways that we keep them alive even before the final day of resurrection. And so I'm grateful for that. And if you would pray with me, God of grace and mercy, God of power and light and love, God who made us, God who loves us, God who needs us and who wants us here in this community with each other, be with us today. Help us to see your word. Help us to love one another. And help us to be love to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Jesus that we meet in this scripture, in this slightly less often read section of Matthew 18 of this gospel, is simultaneously the Jesus I most love and want to read about, the one who intrigues me, the one who compels me, the one who seems to me to be a source overflowing of love and mercy and glory, and the Jesus who bothers me the most, who makes me the most nervous, um, who seems to me so unlike God as I have experienced God in the world with his wild, extraordinary claims that we should forgive everyone we encounter and that there are torture and consequences if we do not. It's a mixed bag. He is at the same time the Jesus who I hold closest to my heart and the one who I hold farthest at length. The one who seems to me disturbing in his extremeness and glorious in his totality of love and mercy and forgiveness for me and for others. Jesus is not easy to explain <laughs> or to box in, and it's good to be reminded of how wild God is, of how big God's claims are of the ways in which God is not easy to say one thing about or do one thing for or sum up in a second. God is asking big things of us as individuals and as the community, and it's good to be reminded. The bigness of the ask, the bigness of God, I think is part of why Jesus is constantly talking about um, our lives in terms of parables, stories, rather than rules that can be applied to anything. And part of why I think whenever he talks about the kingdom of heaven, 
he's comparing it to something familiar instead of describing what it actually will be. I wonder if he thinks that maybe total love, glory, mercy, justice, forgiveness all at the same time is so far from our experience, we can't understand it unless he makes these comparisons after comparisons after comparisons. The kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like, it's like bread that feeds more than you could think. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like a Lord who tortures people until they give him all his money. <laughs> that one's a little harder to take. <laughs> um, and my first instinct, whenever I hear a teaching of Jesus that is hard for me, that feels too big for me or too wild for me, my first instinct is that I always go for the place because I know that Jesus is good news to the world, because I know that Christianity is good news to the world, because I know that that's what gospel means and gospel is, I look for the place, perhaps it's my rebel heart, where the good news sounds like bad news to people. When I hear a teaching that seems hard or seems complicated, I think first, who would hear this as bad news? And how do we as the church make sure that that doesn't happen? And when it comes to both this scripture and our whole um, sermon series this Lent, which is called Sorry Not Sorry, it's all about forgiveness, I think the bad news that a lot of people hear from this good news about forgiveness is that forgiveness is demanded even in situations when it would cause you incredible harm. So where I think people have been hearing this good news and it has become bad news in their life, um, is in the conversations I've had at many churches in many places of many kinds with people who are in abusive relationships with parents or spouse or sibling. And they say to me when I ask, can we help you leave? What kind of support do you need? Jesus told me to forgive 77 times. I'm going to forgive this person who is hurting me. And that I just know in who God is and who God has made people to be is not true and is not what we are called to do. If Jesus has called us to love our neighbor as ourself, that requires as a precondition that we love ourselves and putting ourselves in situations where we are in danger and in pain all of the time cannot possibly be the ask of God. And so I look for that place and I say, that's where people have been hearing this good news and making it bad news. We need to make sure they know that that's not what this means. And so I say that to you. That's not what this means. <laughs> it is possible to forgive from afar, to not continue to be in relationship with someone who only will cause you danger and pain, but to find a way to let that go, to um, be overwhelmed with love far away, or to not make that your first task and to make taking care of yourself your first task. Those are things that God honors and loves. And then, and then, <laughs> I realize that as important as it is to take that seriously and to teach that, that's not the end of the story because that's not what's happening in my life. That's not what's happening in the life of many in this church. And yet still, most of us are not overflowing fountains of forgiveness. <laughs> There's a teaching left in this scripture. There's a teaching left in this Jesus for us. 
who are not experiencing damage and harm at the hands of others, but still are holding on inside of our hearts, inside of our bodies, inside of our minds, to bitterness and resentment that will not let us go, or perhaps more accurately, we will not let go. We will not release ourselves from, we will not release those in whom we hold it from. There is something going on here. Just like when Jesus tells the rich man to give up all of his money, that Jesus is challenging because Jesus is asking us to do something that is very hard and that maybe most of us should be doing more. I'm not a person who holds grudges particularly. I don't think of myself as um, a like vengeful person. No one would describe me as an avenging angel. And yet, if I really look in my soul, as I would encourage you to do, I can find all kinds of places where I have not been the well of forgiveness and grace to others that God has been to me. Which in the end is what the story is about, right? That the story is about, what do you feel from me? Jesus is saying, how did it feel when I covered you with grace? How did it feel when I forgave you everything? How can it be that you experience that and turn away from me and give the exact opposite to the people around you? How can it be that you feel the level of love I have for you and the next person you meet, you grab them by the throat and tell them everything they're doing wrong, right? That is the lesson where we might want our hearts and souls to be touched by this a little bit. And it can come up in all kinds of things. One thing that I want to distinguish is anger is a really useful emotion that you'll discover in half of the Psalms and most of the Bible uh, that is useful. Um, Anger does a lot of things for us. It does a lot of help for us. But I think of anger mostly as um, a bat signal for unfairness, right? So anger is how your body and your soul tells you, not fair. (laughs) And it does that in all kinds of situations. It does that from when you're two and you see the other kid at preschool get two cookies and you only got one cookie and your whole body floods with anger and it goes, not fair. And it also happens when you see like structural racism make itself known in the world and white supremacy kill a bunch of people in another town and your whole body and your heart and your mind go, not fair, not right, and you're flooded with anger. Anger is good because it's a bad signal for stuff that needs to change, (laughs) for stuff that needs to be addressed, for stuff that is not of God and is not of community. So anger is not so much the problem that we're addressing when we talk about forgiveness. It's the way that anger when there isn't a way to express it in making the world more fair or to express it with honesty about how the unfairness of the world has hurt us, it's the way that anger begins to curdle inside of us into something more bitter and long-lasting. The way that we can tell that we're in a situation where forgiveness is needed in everything from a customer service agent on the phone who you don't know at all, someone who's a stranger, but against whom, right, you're holding bitterness and resentment and you aren't being forgiving because what you want to happen isn't happening, to a good friend who you've had a conflict with where maybe both of you are at fault, but you just cannot get over the thing you really want them to say about what happened, to the politician or the figure in the world who has done something that has harmed you even though they don't know you personally, all of those people... The way you know that Jesus' call to forgiveness is seeking you out and is searching for you and you haven't gotten there yet 
is when you're in a situation where the way that you think about that person is not as a whole created human being. Not as a whole created human being, but as something less, as something smaller, as something transactional, or as something um, of an object, rather than a whole human person full of flaws and love like you, who you might hold accountable for having done something wrong, but who remains a creature of God, um, who remains a, a person and is deserving of that level of consideration and love. That's when you know <laughs> you need more forgiveness in your heart when you start to think of other people as not really people at all. And most of us do that casually. I, I was really struck this last week. Um, I don't want to get into all of the surrounding nonsense of it, but Paul Manafort, right? So this person who has been involved in various crimes um, was sentenced, and the sentence was somewhere between four and seven years in prison, and there was rightfully, right, people got the bat signal of anger. How can it be that for these giant financial crimes that led to dictatorships, right, that like led to all of this harm, he's getting four to seven years when my friend, when my brother, who had some pot in his pocket, got 20. Right? The anger was justified. There was unfairness in the system. But then I started to hear all these people saying, four to seven years, that's nothing. Right? Four to seven years, that's nothing compared to what this person did. And I just thought, how sick, how broken is our culture if we look at someone's freedom being taken away, their community being taken away, being taken out of their family and out of their town for four years, as nothing, something's gone wrong with the way that we're thinking about justice and the way that we're thinking about whole people and the way that we're thinking about what justice is and what it looks like. Um, the answer is not to give up on fairness. Also, the answer is not to start thinking of punishment as what fairness looks like. There's something greater, something more restorative that we're being called to in our lives, both personal and broad. We've become sick with the idea that punishment will bring us peace. And it just almost never does. Um, next week, I'll be showing you guys some clips from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa um, and the similar one that took place in Rwanda. And we'll talk a lot about the role of truth in moving forward and in apologies and forgiveness. Part of where people go wrong a lot with forgiveness is that they think that forgiveness is amnesia that it papers over something rather than holding it up and saying this and we can love. But this week I wanna really concentrate on this call to forgive beyond what we think we're capable of. That we have more love inside of us than we think we do, that we have more peace inside of us than we think we do. And I, I just wanna tell you a little bit about how this church has changed that for me. I have become a much, much more forgiving person since I started going to Urban Village. Um, and it's because of what I have seen in you. It's because of what I have seen in the people of this church. We are a church that has many different stories, many different things that we've experienced, but one common story in this church is people who are um, queer or grew up asking too many questions for their church and grew up really faithful and now that they have tried to become more fully who God created them to be, their family um, cannot receive that and cannot hold that. 
and is harmful about that. That's a really common story in this church. And I have to tell you that at the beginning, um, I held a lot of anger and resentment and bitterness over those stories in my heart. Uh, and <laughs> so did my parents. Um, for those of you who don't know, my, my parents are not religious. Um, they, I converted in my late teens, but you know, they like me, I'm their kid. And so they come to worship here probably twice a year, like Christmas, Easter, you know, when they're in town, they come by because they want to see what I'm up to. And almost every time they come to worship, they both are like, oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, here's the thing that's nice. I love the music. And they are so pissed out of their minds. <laughs> they're just so angry. Um, and one of the reasons is that since the day I was born, my parents have been affirming of whoever their kids turned out to be. It's a really important value for them. And uh, they hear stories of other kinds of families in this church that they don't understand. So particularly this last Christmas, we had a communal prayer and testimony time. Um, and so people, it's like, you know, you go home to your families around Christmas. And so people were sharing what that was going to be like. And a couple people shared different things they were experiencing. You know, one person said, after I came out, my dad didn't talk to me for a couple of years, but we've started to get it back these last couple of years. And, you know, last week he called me and he um, is going to let me do this favor for him. Things are getting better in our relationship. You know, someone was talking about my, my sibling, where we've had this, like, rift between us for forever. They're letting me send them books now to show them about how you can be a gay Christian, and I'm, you know, letting them know, and we're talking again. And my parents came out of that service. My mom still talks about it sometimes. They came out of that service so angry. <laughs> they were just like, they don't owe their patience to anyone. Their parents should be begging their, for their forgiveness for the next couple of decades. How can that possibly be their attitude? I mean, they were just so, so mad. That's not how parents should be. That's not how siblings should be. That's not how anyone should be. Um, they were like, they, and they are objectively right. If that is your story, like that, that is the truth of the fairness of that situation. That is the truth, that it is not fair what so many of you have done to draw your families back into redemption, to draw them back into love, to draw them back into peace, to draw them back into relationship, it is not fair. And some of you, your families are in such a place that you cannot do that, and it would be harmful to you to do that. But it, it is objectively not what is required, what many folks in this community are doing, and yet, every day I see you do it. <laughs> every day I see people in this church who reach out to people who have harmed them and say, I remain in it with you. I believe you can love more. I believe you can understand differently. I believe you are not without hope and you are not lost to the world and you are not lost to mercy and I will continue to reach out to you. And it is extraordinary. It is God beyond logic. It is God beyond fairness. It is faithfulness that I have seen in this church community um, beyond what has ever been demanded of me or what I thought was possible or what I know to be logical in the world. And so you all have taught me a lot about what it means to live into Jesus' forgiveness of a world of pain and hurt and of people who owe us more in debt than they are willing to give. And so it's going to be complicated <laughs> as we look inside of our souls and figure out where are we holding on to anger? Where can I forgive from afar? Where can I forgive up close? Where is forgiveness still too hard? And it is not where God is reaching me right now. But what I can tell you is that what I know of this church 
is that Jesus does do miracles. <laughs> and people have been brought back by that kind of love, by that kind of faithfulness, by that kind of passion. And, and that it is your faithfulness that has taught me that forgiveness is powerful and miraculous beyond measure. And so I believe we can experience that in our faith lives and that we can make it real in a world where there is too much pain. So thank you, and God bless you. And may God continue to show us the way where we can see what forgiveness will mean for us in our path with the one who made us. Amen.